unfortunately, many people are chameleons. And some are proud about being chameleons in the sense that when they are out in this world, they find themselves trying to fit in to whatever their situation is. But we want to encourage you to let your freak flag fly. <laughs> Be you. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 937. I want to welcome Rob Dubay to the call. Hello. Hi there. Thank you, James. So great to see you. Yeah, you too. You're joining us from Michigan and, uh, you know, different time zone, different part of the world, the wonders of modern technology. Today, we're going to be talking about 10 disciplines, uh, which is a, it's actually a, it's a paradox because it's a very simple thing to talk about, but it's very complicated in terms of execution and getting results. I definitely want to talk about that. I got introduced to you via a mutual friend of ours, Gino Wickman who was a past guest on my show. It was episode 914, if you want to go and listen to that. He's a, a brilliant guy. He's famous in our world for the um, entrepreneurial operating system. He's published a bunch of books. I'm always referring to Rocket Fuel when I'm coaching because, of course, most people don't know their visionaries and they wonder why they can't get stuff done. I've even formed a business around that with a friend of mine called Virtual Do, where we help people get stuff done. He was a great guest on this show and he said, you, you should have a chat to Rob. And uh, I said, tell me about Rob. He said, well, we've, it's a project I'm doing. So obviously there's some kind of partnership there. And uh, I looked up some stuff of yours. It looks like you've published a book before and you've been involved in a fairly commoditized service of the printing industry as well. But it seems like you're bringing a bit of a sort of a, a spiritual meditative new age approach to traditional business. I'd love you to share more about that blend and your relationship with Gino as well. Sure. Sure. Well, I'll start with the latter and then I'll come to the first part. So Gino and I became friends a little over 20 years ago. We were one of his first EOS clients. It wasn't even called EOS at that time. We were kind of one of the guinea pigs, but I learned a tremendous amount about running my business properly from him. And ultimately, so much so that we were able to actually sell the company and buy it back in 04 and 06. So we had a really unique experience. And I always like to say that to attribute that, those learnings and how we incorporated EOS into our business that helped us to be able to do that successfully. Gino and I remained friends outside of our work together when he was coaching us, being our implementer. And we'd meet up at the coffee shop two, three times a year. We'd just talk about life for like four or five hours. And I noticed something interesting about him. He was doing all these things in his life. And I was fascinated by it. And I'd say, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you take all of August off? Now, how are you not answering emails? I don't even understand that. And he'd try to explain it to me. And I would try to incorporate these things into my life. And who knew that like 20 years later, he'd write a book called The 10 Disciplines for Managing and Maximizing Your Energy. I read it because I've been a test reader on all of his books. And I said, Gino, these are the things I've been gleaning off of you for the last 20 years. It's so awesome to see them in writing. What's up with these? What are you doing with them? And we decided to partner together to bring them to the world because I feel they are so impactful. I love it. That's a great story. Um, it often... It's interesting to see when you first have an interaction with someone, you can't possibly tell where it will go. In fact, um, for the very first time, I met Dean Jackson in Detroit. We were both attending Jeff Johnson's event. 
we had lunch together. Actually, we were seated together by accident. I had no idea that was Dean Jackson and I'd heard about this guy, but he was elusive. He was this guy from Florida who was uh, the mastermind behind all the, the real go-getters. And it turned out I was sitting next to this guy. We had lunch and then years later we became friends and he comes and visits in Australia and we've done podcast episodes together, but you just don't know at the time. So I can see there's a, a great blend. You've learned a lot from Gino. No doubt he's had some influence from you too by being a test customer <laughs> and seeing how you apply what he teaches. And uh, it looks like together you've made this product where you're teaching the disciplines. I mean, you literally give that away on your website. I'll mention the website here. It's the10disciplines.com. You also have a sort of a program where you're partnering or coaching people either in group and then there's also, I saw a one-to-one thing where, which involves your personal time. So I can see there's some similarities between the way that I deliver things and the way you're delivering things. And it's good for Gino to have you on board there as a case study customer and then someone who really has had decades of exposure to this methodology. It's awesome. So let's just talk about um, the 10 disciplines, if it's okay with you. I don't, don't know how much you want to share of those on the podcast or if you want to make people go. And Happy get... to share all of them. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll follow your lead. Well, from my experience, these kind of podcasts where we can talk about uh, the different steps or the X number of things yeah. is really quite practical. I'd, I'd love my audience to get exposure to them, but it does come with a little warning. And, you know, we talked about this before. You could know the disciplines, but it doesn't mean you're going to experience the result of having that knowledge until you put them into practice. Can you just talk about that as a, you know, the execution component? Because I think that's where you're really specializing on this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're simple, they're fast, and they're fully customizable to your unique self, but they're not easy to incorporate into your lives and keep in your life. And that's why we created the video-based journey, which is an online course, and why we have our online community with the group coaching and even the one-on-one coaching, because it, I can speak from personal experience and going through them for many years that they ebb and flow and you can lose sight of them. But when you have them dialed in, it's such a strong foundation to open up space in your life so you can bring your true value to this world. And that's what this is all about. I love it. I'm going to read the description I got from someone in your team, I think. The 10 disciplines is for self-motivated, driven and ambitious people, racehorses who are ready to run. These disciplines, which I've been practicing for over 20 years, will teach you how to harness your energy, run faster, make an impact, get total freedom and understand what is most important in your life, making you the best version of yourself. Right, so that's the trailer. That's right. By the way, I, I want to say... I really resonated with the disciplines. They all seem quite familiar to me as well. Right. And maybe because we have a, a sort of a, I'm going to say a, an intermediate to advanced audience, a pretty high achiever audience, some of these might resonate too. It'd be good for you to just to sort of give us a snapshot. If I say what the discipline is, maybe you can talk about the discipline and give some context. Perfect. You know, without having to turn your book into an audio book or Gino's book. <laughs> Absolutely. Discipline one, 10 year thinking. Yeah. I mean, I love this one. We're on a 10-year-old podcast here and uh, we've got a 10-year-old membership plus. So awesome. proof is in the pudding for that one. I'd, I'd like to know the snapshot around that. Yeah. So simply stated, and we call these the root statements. So the root statement is shift your mind from short-term thinking to thinking in 10-year timeframes. 
And for some people, that's easy. For others, that can be challenging. Some people can't go past you know, a week from now. Some people are thinking in terms of 100 years. And so you know, we utilize 10 years as our starting point. And a simple exercise that one can do is they can think, you know, you're at your audience can do this right now. Think about whatever year it is that you're listening to this, think 10 years ahead and how old you are. And maybe one thing that is what your life looks like, maybe just one thing. It doesn't have to be a lot of things. Just picture what that is. And now that you have that picture in your mind's eye, you start today by making decisions and having actions that are in alignment with that. And so that's a very simple way to go about tenure thinking, and you can expand it out beyond that. There's visioning statements that people can create. There's BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, et cetera, et cetera. But at the most simplistic form, that's a good way, a good starting point. I prefer this to the traditional smart goals type discussion it seems just it's more intention-based. I love the vision thing. I'm literally sitting here living the life that I had in my mind in my 20s. I knew this was going to be the scenario. I did not know how I was going to get there. And it's taken a while to play out, but I got to that point. So I absolutely, I do what exactly what you said. I think about that. So up until this year, I've been surfing for eight years and I'd always visioned getting barreled, having that wave going over me. You've probably seen video clips of it, even if you're not a surfer. Yeah. Probably in Michigan, I would, wouldn't recommend it. And when I finally got it, January this year, <laughs> yeah, I had tears in my eyes. I just had the emotion to realize it. So cool. But you have to think about it in advance. So basically the, the question that I was thinking of, like who do I have to become to get that barrel? What skill level do I need? What equipment do I need? And where do I have to position myself to be there. And I managed to position myself in just the right place during a cyclone swell to catch that wave, even though there was probably three or 400 people out at least on this day. And I got the right, it just came to me and I took it and all the training and practice came into place. And ironically, it was with my other friend who's in a similar field to you, my friend, Rick Cowley. He's also been a guest on this. He's, he runs Vision Quest. And he was the one coaching me to get ready for that barrel as well. And so I'm, I'm huge on this. The 10-year thing, it's just epic. I think that we can tick that one off. Discipline number two is take time off. <laughs> I love this one. You know, although you're talking to a three-day workweek person here, I'd Fantastic. change my routine. I, I'm huge on this and it comes up a lot. I'd love to hear your take on it and we'll see what that looks like. Yeah, so our root statement there is take at least 130 days off per year and don't think about work the entire day. So for people that feel that's overwhelming, you know, I like to put it in context. If you took every weekend off, every holiday off, and you took like three weeks vacation, you're darn near 130 days. The tough part that people get caught up with is not thinking about work the entire day. And what does that mean? I have a lot of questions around that. Like, can I just like glance at my email? And the answer would be, we would recommend absolutely not. Leave your email behind. Don't call in to the office. Don't check in. We even recommend not reading business books. A lot of people try to find this as their time to you know, catch up on that stack of books on the edge of their desk. But we say, let your mind free. And when you do that, really unique things begin to happen. And maybe you found this out in your work week, you know, with your three-day work week, is 
your mind starts coming up with some really amazing ideas. It's solving challenges when you're not working. It's just, it's got the space all of a sudden. It's not filled up in blocking you. And so it's a very powerful discipline and it allows you to re-energize, not just your mind, but your physical sense, your energy. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I had a a lady yesterday on a coaching call say she's got a holiday coming up and she's so excited because she knows she just gets flooded with ideas and she can just relax. The business will take care of itself because of all the, the work that she's done in it. And I said, why don't you engineer this on a regular basis? Like, why don't you build it into your week? If you get ideas when you're riding a bike, rock climbing or sitting on the deck of a boat or poolside, or like do that on a regular basis. It's even hard for me to process now how you can still have more profit have a significant impact with others, but not be slaving away. I said this to my wife the other day, I used to work 100 hours a week. (laughs) I have no guilt around a 15-hour work week. And the reason is I already worked harder than almost everyone would in their lifetime. I Seriously, in my 20s and 30s, I pushed as hard as you can push. And there was nothing left to push. I just left it all on the table every year. Like I worked five years for everyone's one. I was the anti-lazy. But I think you're right. The problem people have is they've got this association with self-meaning or the guilt that comes from not working. One of the exercises I do, I, was, um, I remember Justin Brooke, for example, I encouraged him to try a gaming console and he felt that was a really difficult thing to try. And uh, another one, a friend of mine, Greg Merrilee, is a client. I said, go and watch a movie during a weekday. He's like, oh, but I, you know, the team, they're at the, in the office, they're at work. I'm like, just do it. And so over time... And for me, it was actually um, strategic coach was the one that got me to have Sundays off. That was the sort of the knife in the door that started that thing open. Once I took Sundays, I, I rolled it to Saturdays and then Mondays and Fridays. I'm like, I'm done. that was about four or five years ago now. Fantastic. And I've never looked back. I think time off is critical. Mm-hmm. Discipline three, know thyself. Yeah, yeah. So our root statement there is be you 100% of the time, 24-7-365. So, you know, unfortunately, many people are chameleons and some are proud about being chameleons in the sense that when they are out in this world, they find themselves trying to fit in to whatever their situation is. But we want to encourage you to let your freak flag fly. (laughs) Be you. Everybody appreciates the authentic you, and they feel your energy when you're not authentically you. I mean, we've all been in that situation where we're speaking with somebody, James and I are chatting with somebody, and the person walks away and we say, wow, that person had great energy, didn't they? Yeah, great energy. That's an authentic person who is being truly themselves. And the reverse happens. Somebody walks away and James and I look at each other and we say, Something didn't feel right about that person, right? Did you feel that? Yeah, yeah, I felt that. And that's, that's an inauthentic energy. So we encourage that you take a deep dive into truly who you are. And it's a process. And quite frankly, it's a lifetime process. But you know, we encourage that you get started maybe by doing... Now, your listeners are high performers. So many of them have probably done some of the personality profiling tools, but that's a great starting point. Therapy is very useful. So that's another avenue that people can go. And and those are just a couple of the ways that you can go out and learn more about yourself. 
Yeah, like, uh, for me, I think anyone who's an entrepreneur or not in a corporate space has probably started to become unemployable because they can let go of the mask. You know that yeah. bullshit veneer you have to put on, like you have to walk around and look busy and you're basically doing a lot of um, things to avoid yes. getting sacked, right? So you have to put on the work face. And mm. for me, it's always felt weird when I see online marketers who are, you'd meet them normally, they'll be in a t-shirt and then suddenly they're in a three-piece tuxedo up on stage. I'm like, I just can't connect the dots. There. I'm like, where did you go? Right. So I think in the world of social media too, there's a good chance that the Instagram version of people is not the real them mm. and you can hopefully, uh, like it's easy Absolutely. for with all the filters and stuff. There's this constant pressure to not be yourself. Right. It takes uh, discipline, I think, or courage. I like that. The Courage to be Disliked was a great book I read about not worrying so much about what other people think. And mm -hmm. for me, the process of leaving my job was a big step down that path to know myself. Mm -hmm. And it was only five years after that that I really started to enact huge changes for my life that have um, stuck and have been beneficial. I love it. Let's talk about Discipline 4, Be Still. I imagine you have a wealth of knowledge on this because you had a book <laughs> called, was it Do Nothing? Do nothing. That's right. Right. Yeah. So Bisto, the root statement there is sit in silence for 30 minutes every day. And, you know, for most of us that have busy lives, you know, to sit in silence sometimes can seem like a waste of time because we've got so much to do. There's so much doing going on. And I always like to reference one of my favorite quotes by the best-selling author, Anne Lamont, which goes like this. My mind is like a bad neighborhood. I try to never go there alone. And I oftentimes wonder when people share with me that they have trouble sitting in stillness, if that isn't the real reason, because it is hard. And I get it. It is hard to sit in silence because our minds start going and they go fast. It's monkey mind. And it's painful to sit with that. But it's a great practice. And over time, your mind settles. And there are many ways to accomplish this. I meditate. And so that's the way I've gone about it. But there's prayer that people do. You can journal. You know, some people sit and contemplate. So they just sit and think about things and allow that to be. I know somebody that looks out their window at a large willow tree and likes to just watch it sway in the wind for 30 minutes. And that really calms her mind. So these are fully customizable. So you find what works best for you. And for me, it was meditation but it might be completely different for any of your listeners. I like it. Remember when I was having, in my most toxic workplace uh, scenarios, where I had enormous pressure at a young age, I used to walk the dog listening to brainwave entrainment tracks. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I'd just, I'd arrive back at home and not even remember leaving. <laughs> like, these days I sit in an infrared sauna and I play one of those meditation frequency soundtracks on the little tablet yeah. that's in there and I Great. and I just zone out like I'm gone. Fantastic. I look down a little row of surfboards I have along the wall. I'm often just mind surfing them and so that's my release but I love it. it is good good to have time out. Like the people who are always busy busy I mean it's straight back to that Stephen Covey thing isn't it about the wood choppers. Like you just get a <laughs> yeah. you just get a blunt axe. You're not going to make any yeah. progress. Yeah. We have to settle down. Have to. We have to. Our mind needs a break and our body needs a break. And, um, you know, if it's tough to do 30, start with five, move up to 10, 15, everybody understands, you know, you, you ease into it. And I love that you shared some of the things that you do that are different. 
to help in that way. So thanks for that. That's all right. I mean, I surf, so I don't have a phone or a laptop. It's just me and the surfboard. <laughs> and that, that's my yeah. daily earthing. Mm-hmm. I love that the most. Mm-hmm. So discipline five, know your 100%. Yeah. So the root here is decide on and commit to the perfect number of hours per week and weeks per year that you will bring your value to this world. And so it's your work container. And for you, James, it sounds like it's three days. Mm-hmm. And if those are full days, I don't know, eight, 10 hours. They're not. It's, it's a morning and an evening session and most of the day off. Most of the day off. Right? So <laughs> yeah. whatever number of hours that is, that's your work container. 15. It's 15 hours per week. It's 15 hours per week. That's fantastic. Yeah. I allocate 15 hours and This one is one of the hardest ones for people to get, I'd say. Sure is, yeah. I had someone yesterday, for example, they email me, say, can you tell me your private coaching rate, how much to hire you one-to-one and what's your... I'm saying that I don't provide that service. You've got to know that that would... I've already allocated my hours to the programs that I have and the the way that I... It's group or hybrid, right? And I provide them a way they can get the result they want without doing it the way they think they need to do it. Or I can give them a service provider who will be happy to sell them time one-to-one. So give them a solution, but I know that the 100%, and I also have to thank my wife here because she was like the enforcer. <laughs> if I, like if I booked a call on a Friday or a weekend or something, like in the old days, she'd be like, what are you doing? It's a weekend. You know, like, or I can't just say, oh, I've just got to go up and do a podcast. That just does not fly. Like we allocate them. It's the same. We overlap the same time as childcare three days a week. So mm-hmm. we've got it all dialed in and it mostly works unless there's a public holiday, you know, when the regular people have come and flood the cinemas and the beaches <laughs> and stuff and the shops. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. But yeah, as it relates to knowing you're 100%, you're right. It is a hard one for people. And I have a personal experience with that. I'm a runner and I've run 14 marathons and running is a really important thing for me in the morning. And as my original business, which I still co-own, was growing, you know, we started to have early morning huddles. They would start around 9 a.m. and then we needed more time. So we moved it to 8.30 and then 8 and then 7.30. And I run at 7 a.m. And all of a sudden I had to stop. I stopped running because I had to be at these meetings and I didn't have enough time. And I was working with a coach and the coach said to me, well, what would happen if you let the team know you can't start anything until 9 a.m.? (laughs) I didn't know what to say. What a good question to ask. Mm. So I set my work container, nothing before 9am. Now that was 20 years ago. And that's changed since then. But nonetheless, it can be as simple as that. It's just really set it up the way you want it, like you've done, James, and just stick to that work container. Yeah, I think the, the essential, the thing that I teach people when I'm coaching them is like, you're the boss of your own life. Like it's up to you to set those rules, get in the driver's seat. You basically can nominate the rules of the game, especially with your own business and your own team. That's great. I had to give up sailing when I started my career because I was ended up in a car dealership and they work seven days a week. (laughs) And even on my days off, which were very scarce. I mean, I worked 30, it was like 38 days straight before they gave me a day off. I was still taking calls and trying to make sales because it was predominantly commission-based. Yeah. So I never really had time off for more than a decade of work. And I gave up something that I loved. So I think when I got surfing, that was me getting my passion sport back. 
And I can tell you my schedule, my calendar and everything revolves around being able to surf every day. Mm-hmm. That is the non-negotiable. Love it. And then that has to happen. Let's talk about discipline six, say no often. Yes. And, you know, your audience may have noticed by now as they're listening, they may be saying those first five we just heard, that's pretty simple stuff. I totally get it. And so I just always like to reinforce that they are simple. They're fast, they're customizable, but they're not easy to incorporate into your life. They do take proper effort, hence we call them disciplines. So yeah, discipline number six is say no often. And this is where we say, say no to everything that doesn't fit into the first five disciplines. Uh, yeah. You know, And there's so much that we've uncovered and unpacked during the conversation in the first five. And the work container, which is the last one we talked about, know you're 100%, there's a great example. Because you have your surfing time. And if I say, James, can we meet at XYZ time? And that's your surfing time. That's an easy answer. No. Well, no, I say bring your surfboard. (laughs) (laughs) Or bring your surfboard. (laughs) What I've discovered, like where I live in Noosa, it's a resort location in Australia. And since I moved up from Sydney, a lot of my clients and friends visit Noosa for holidays. Uh. That's great. They're like, oh, do you want to catch up or have a coffee? I'm like, do you want to come for a surf? (laughs) Because like, that's going to work (laughs) out the best for all of us. But one of the things that we find is that for many people saying no is really hard. Oh yeah. And so it's a muscle that we really have to work. So if anybody's familiar with the Enneagram profiling tool, I'm a type three, type two, which means I'm the helper and the achiever. And so if somebody asks me for a favor, asks me to do something, I want to say, yes, I like to help. And then if I say yes, I'm all in because I'm achieving. And so if I say yes too often, it's going to drain my energy. So, you know, it's important that I flex the no muscle and we don't have to feel guilty about it. We can provide people who are asking us for favors or asking us to participate in things with alternate solutions. You know, say you reach out to somebody to be a guest on the podcast And they say no, but they might provide you with a list of guests that might fit really well for the podcast. That's a way of being useful, but saying no. So you can do it in a really kind way. And and I like to challenge the audience. I'll challenge your audiences. What if you just started saying no to just 25% of the things you're saying yes to? Just imagine for a moment the additional freed up time and energy that you would gain just from that 25%. Well, we know that the entrepreneurial paradox is they'll just say yes to other things. (laughs) They'll very quickly fill it. This is one of those muscles that has to be developed or it gets Mm -hmm. abused. I remember I was uh, in the city once pitching a guy, an entrepreneur, to buy my SEO business. Mm -hmm. And after I spoke, he said, you know what? I don't want to buy your business. I want to invest in it. I like you and I like what you've done here and I think it could really go. And he said, "I'll, I'll give you some advice. And um, he pointed to this plaque on his desk and the plaque said, no. He goes, listen, I say no to just about everyone who comes in here. Because after he sold his company, he had every single person coming at him with ideas and stuff. So he said, I'm not saying no to you. I'm saying yes, but I want a different deal. (laughs) But he actually had a plaque on his desk because that was his greatest device to know where he should spend his time and energy. You can't be overstated this one. Please don't fill up your time. When you say no and you've opened up the time, don't fall in that entrepreneurial trap of filling up the time unless it fits into the true value that you are bringing to this world. That's your gauge. 
Is this the true value that I'm bringing to this world? So just look back at the first five disciplines and you'll know the answer. And I have a similar thing with my clients. I work out what the rule is or what the filter is. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of them, I'll have a filter where we work out what they're trying to do and the rules of the game. And then we'll say, right, anything that comes along, we run it through the filter and like, yes, it serves the greater good. Yes, it feeds our subscription membership or yes, it's an ideal client. If it doesn't fit any of the criteria, it's a no. And so it takes some of the, the cognitive load off having to make the choice. And the other thing that I like to think of is sometimes people ask you for things that are unreasonable or that if you said yes, would actually be denying them a growth opportunity. Mm. Sometimes by saying no, you're helping them. That's right. Because they have to go and reconfigure their approach or recalibrate what's realistic or fair for them to even ask you. So I get that one a fair bit, especially if you have kids growing up or that's right. <laughs> people around you who are the user type, they will ask you, un, you know, unrealistically acceptable things. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the filter because in our course, each one of these disciplines has a set of exercises that we take you through that ensure that you master them. So we have some similar tools that you mentioned and you prompted me with that, with the filter. So thank you for that. My pleasure. Let's talk about discipline seven. Yeah. Don't do $25 an hour work. Yeah. So the root statement there is never do anything you could pay someone $25 an hour to do. And I always like to start by saying $25 an hour work is important work. There's nothing bad about $25 an hour work. It's just your audience of high performers, they're not $25 an hour people. You know, to, for them to be bringing their true value to this world, they need to be doing the types of activities that are much greater than that. So we encourage people to get any of that $25 an hour work that they're doing, look at what you're doing, determine if it's $25 an hour work and get that off your plate. Delegate it, hire an assistant if you don't have one, even on, your per on the personal side of things. You know, if you mow your lawn and you dread it, stop doing it, hire it out. It'll give you the time and energy that will allow for you to bring your true value to the world. And aside from that, the numbers don't really work if you do it that way. So I'm using American dollars here. So if you're doing $25 an hour work, that's $50,000 a year in an annual salary. You know, if you want to make at least six figures, you got to be doing $50 an hour work at a minimum. And you could just do the math from there. So how much do you want to make? And what does that equate to hourly? How many hours are you going to work? Like you work 15 hours, you know, and you do the math. So really question yourself with your activities. And I think you're a great example of that, James. Well, thanks. Yeah, actually, it's pretty much the core premise of my book, Work Less, Make More. Yes. Is effective hourly rate. So I feel my audience will be very strong on this one. I've got a EHR calculator on my side. It's if you scroll down the bottom of jamesramco.com, there's tools. Yeah. Click on that. And you'll see the effective hourly rate calculator. So you can work out how much you currently make per hour because most entrepreneurs don't know. If you work at a job, you know your hourly wage, but most entrepreneurs don't. Right. This is absolutely critical. So for me, you're right. If I'm doing 15 hours a week, I need to make $1,000 an hour or it's not going to float my boat. Right. So there's no way I'm going to be mowing my lawn or chlorinating my pool or <laughs> things like that. That's right. Because I'd rather be talking to you while someone's out there pulling out the weeds. Doing that. Yeah. Absolutely. And that certainly helps with say no often. You know, these are yes, all interconnected. They are. You don't necessarily pick one, you know, they're just all interconnected when you start to get through them. 
Well, it's like the Jay Abraham talks about geometric growth. If you did all of these 10% better, you'll get a massive windfall across the board. That's right, yeah. Discipline eight, prepare every night. Prepare every night. Root statement is before your head hits the pillow every night, document the next day's plan. And it's so simple, it's ridiculous, but it's so powerful. And so many people don't do it. So simply stated, before your head hits the pillow, look at what's going on for the next day and document it. We recommend writing it out, but you could type it or whatever your mechanism is. And you have absolute clarity about what's happening tomorrow. Some interesting things that can happen with people. First of all, you sleep better because you're very clear about what's happening tomorrow. And while you're sleeping, your subconscious is going to work. It's solving problems. It's coming up with new ideas. And when you wake, you hit the ground running because you're very clear about what's going to happen today. And oftentimes you might be, you know, making your cup of coffee or whatever. And all of a sudden you have an answer to a problem that you were grappling with over the past day or two. And you don't know where it came from. And I would argue where it came from was the fact that you prepared yourself and you allowed your subconscious to do the work. And so it's, as I say, it's a very simple concept, but so darn powerful. Yeah, I can support that. In fact, I'd say um, something that's worked well with me is I discuss it with my wife. You know, at the end of the day, we say, what, what does tomorrow look like? Simple as that. Love it. I say, well, I've got a podcast first thing in the morning with Rob. <laughs> and then I chat with Pat and then uh, Aiden. And then it's a preschool drop off and then uh, one more podcast and that's it. You know, 10, 15, I'm done for the day. I also open up some notes and I write down Rob's details. I go and check out his material. I check the disciplines. I see what he's published before, what his previous business looked like, what people are saying about him online. Because back in the early days of my podcast, where I'd essentially just wing it, it was okay, but it wasn't great. I think when you do more research or preparation, the results way better. So I, I encourage this. I, I also um, remember back in the car industry days, I used to get the ironing board out and iron my shirts every night before the next day. And then eventually I got 20 white shirts and I got them all sent to the, the laundromat and got them back on coat hangers and they were ready to just take off the rack one at a time. Great. Uh, so I was putting into play some of the things we're talking about here. These are practical yeah. examples. Discipline nine, this one, yeah. I really, I like the look of this one. Put everything in one place. <laughs> Yeah. So the root here is pick the one place where you will capture every idea, commitment, thought, action item, and promise. And so what's happening with many people is with their busy lives, they're going through, they're out and about, they're in their office, they're in conference rooms, they're out at meetings, and they're jotting down all these things that are coming at them in various places. They might type it in their smartphone, they might put it on a scrap piece of paper, a post-it note. They might have a journal that sometimes they write in. Sometimes they even try to remember. Like, I'll just remember that. And it causes a great deal of anxiety for people. One thing I always like to emphasize is for those that are doing that, what they don't realize is they're actually really letting people down. And I have a great story of somebody who went through the program. They said, my desk is a mess. I don't even know where to start. I know exactly what you mean by put everything in one place because nothing's in one place. And he was inspired to clean off his desk. And he began to find opportunities lost as he's found the scraps of paper and the uh, post-it notes. And he took that as a lesson to never allow that to be again. And so it's as simple as literally having one thing by your side 
where you're going to jot down all those things I mentioned at the outset. And this can be your smartphone or a tablet. It can be as simple. Uh, Gino Wickman uses a yellow legal pad. I happen to use one of the remarkable tablets, uh, like paper tablets, whatever, a journal, whatever it is for you, pick it, stick with it and have it by your side at every moment. So you don't forget what you need to do and what you've promised. Love it. I use Apple notes. It's on my phone and my computer. Apple notes. It's always with there me. There you go. Yep. But I don't write something down unless it passes filters first. So I love that. Yeah, like, for example, I, I do all these coaching calls and I don't record them. And I'm specifically like, because if I did, I would actually have had, imagine this, imagine having done like, let's just say 10 or 20 calls a week since 2009. I would have a lot of data there to manage, wouldn't I? Yes, you would. It's 13 years times 52 weeks times, like it's ridiculous. The only purpose I'd have for that would be maybe run it through an AI machine, which I didn't. Right. But what I do have is I've got my handwritten notes on the computer from every call, like the digest. It's like, well, if I record the video, then, and whatever I'm going to do in the future, I might get it transcribed or have someone go through it and then pull out the bullet points. Why don't I just do that on the fly right now? (laughs) So I just end up with like 10 written lines or something. And I give that to my client and that's the summary and action list that all in one done. It's completely finished end to end. Love it. And I've seen people go to events and the whole time they're just writing down and I think, okay, what's going on there? Like just yeah. <laughs> pay attention and only if it makes the 80-20 cut. That's right. Write it down. That's my filter anyway. It's great. Of course, this is going to be different for different people. That's right. Let's talk about discipline number 10. God, I feel like we need a drum roll or something. See if I can. The last, yeah. (laughs) There we go. Oh, there we go. I love it. Thank you for that, James. The last discipline. Yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Discipline number 10 is be humble. And that is simply to view yourself as an equal to every person on the planet. And, you know, we always ask people to imagine a spectrum where on one side is humble, the other side is arrogant, and then where you land on that spectrum. You know, for many, I feel they usually feel they're more on the humble side, and I appreciate that. Interestingly enough, I looked up the definitions of humble and arrogant, and they're actually quite similar, and I'll read them to you real quick. Humble is your estimate of your own importance in comparison to others, and arrogant is the way you view your level of importance in comparison to others. So simply stated, arrogant people feel more important. But what I always like to emphasize is that this can be very subtle. So pay close attention, especially in times where you have a subordinate, somebody who works for you, or maybe you're in a hospitality situation, could be a restaurant or a hotel, and pay very close attention to whether you're treating the person across from you as an equal. And when you are humble, it draws people to you. And usually those people can be quite humble themselves. And there's something really special about being around humble people in this world because we have a finite amount of time. And to be around those kinds of people is the way it should be, quite frankly. And I always like to finish this one by saying, we could have called it be grateful because I never met somebody who was humble, who wasn't grateful on a daily basis. And I encourage and invite the audience 
to think each and every day of at least one thing that they're grateful for in their lives. It is such a simple and powerful practice to do. Gosh, you know, this actually arcs back to a couple of the other things here. For quite some time, I actually had a post-it note next to my camera when I was podcasting saying, be humble. Mm. Because in my old work career as a high-performing general manager in a motor industry, it was fiercely competitive and I had to have confidence and I had to be strong and I had to be hard and firm. And it was, you know, it was like corporate warfare. It was people being sacked and lots of evil corporate stuff happening. It was really difficult. It took me years to let that stuff soak out. I wasn't really, you know, following the whole gratitude movement for a long time. It's probably only when I moved by the ocean and started surfing and hanging around people who eat quinoa and almond milk. And I got more into that sort of organic community and things like gratitude and that they all started to make sense. Now, if I come back from a surf and I haven't broken myself or the equipment, I'm actually grateful that, uh, you know, we've made it through (laughs) and grateful for the ways I was catching. Like, it's true. I've become a better person the more that Mm. I've embraced that thing. I've always, by the way, I've never felt I was more special than the guy detailing the car and that was never an issue for me. I've been to lunches with people where they berate the wait staff. Like, I can't be friends with that person. What an asshole. Mm. Because they think, oh, that's a service person. I'm going to treat them like dog. <laughs> For me, that's outrageous because I have, you know, I'd like to think I've been brought up with great values, but I had to put on a work face or a work exterior, like those profiling tests show. I was different in real life, too. Like, I'm actually naturally quite a quiet, keep to myself person. But then I have this podcast and I speak from mm. stages occasionally and stuff. So it's, it's a fascinating dichotomy. <laughs> well, you're, you're a conduit. That's what I like to call people like you. Probably. So you, you receive messages and then you put them in a way that people can understand them and you teach them through being a conduit, whether it be on stage, because introverts are oftentimes speakers. They're conduits. I'm a translator, a Dr. Doolittle, a sounding board, kingmaker, you know, like I can take all the patterns and processes. I can talk to a visionary or an integrator. I understand both. You know? Right. I'm a accountant trained salesperson. I, I can do numbers and I can do paperwork and spreadsheets yeah. and P&Ls, but I can also do the soft stuff, you know, the emotional things. So it's, I've found my spot. And I think you're in a very similar space to me, actually. Definitely you've got way more depth in the meditation zone. But I'm learning about that and appreciating it. You know, it really brings a lot to the table. The humble one, for me, that's the one I had to do the most work on. Mm-hmm. Like we said in the beginning, to know it is one thing, but to do it is another. I think that's where you're helping people. Yes. Thanks for going through these disciplines. with me. I know it's probably arduous for you. Not at all. It's a joy. It's an absolute joy. And I appreciate you allowing me to do so. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm truly grateful for the opportunity. You know, part of the way this podcast works is firstly, everything we do here is designed to help an audience member get a transition. You know, if you're listening to this or watching this, I, I want you to be better off after listening to this episode than before you started. That's my goal. The other thing is, I, you know, I work pretty organically in terms, I say no to just about every guest that's pushed across my table, unless they come from someone who I trust and who I think is going to be great for my audience. So, I appreciate you coming and sharing, Rob. It's been a delight. From not knowing you a day ago to knowing you now, I feel like we've already got a great connection. I'm actually 
I'm already thinking of a fantastic person I want to introduce you to if you've never met before. So I'll talk to you about that after we close. But thank you for that. This is episode 937. I've been talking with Rob Dubay about the 10 disciplines that have really helped transform lives. He's running a website, the10disciplines.com. The ebook's free anyway, so you can at least start off with that and decide where to go from there. I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you, James. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful. And to all your loyal listeners, I wish them much love and gratitude. This is James Schramko. 